Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Set against the backdrop of a culture in crisis, the art of making it follows a diverse cast of young artists at defining moments in their career to explore whether the art world's ecosystem is meant to nurture them is actually failing them. The art of making it is both a cautionary tale about what America stands to lose if we don't rethink how we value artists and a love letter to those who persevere in their artistic practice in spite of extraordinary odds against ever achieving a sustainable career. We're joined today by the director of The Art of Making It, and that would be Kelsey Edwards. Kelsey, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show. For whatever reason, there's been a a number of documentary films about the art world of late. One from, I think, last year called The The Price of Everything. And this one, what I see as complementary perspectives on the art world. What prompted you to embark on this journey into the art world? I've been immersed in the art world for most of my life. My my father was a museum curator. And so I've always been surrounded by living, working artists. He was a contemporary art curator specifically. So at, early in his career, he was working with you know his peer group, young emerging artists for his generation. Uh, when I moved away from home after college, I was drawn to the same kind of work. So I was living in East Austin and showing the emerging artists of my time. And uh, I found, especially being from Texas, that there seemed to be an incredible disconnect between what these artists were trying to do and say with their work and the broader public understanding of what art was and who art was for. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions that persist between a, a, quote, general public who tends to think the art world is this kind of mystical place that they're sort of where they're sort of excluded from these conversations. And on this other end of the spectrum, I think people who at the highest levels are very involved in the art world, but are primarily trafficking in works of art as though they're luxury goods meant to be bought and sold. And they're really treated as a sort of investment class, um, completely detached from the cultural meaning and the intent of the artists who made these objects for our consideration. And I actually had the fortune of seeing um, the price of everything and meeting the director afterwards and having this wonderful conversation. And through mutual friends, I ended up connected with my producer, Debbie Wish, who also produced that film. And she and I had this uh, discussion about this film that I had kind of always wanted to make in this film that she felt that was, was kind of left on the cutting room floor of that film, which was this sort of other side of the ra- rainbow. Um, so the way I describe it for people who haven't seen either film is that, uh, or maybe people who've only seen The Price of Everything is if that's looking at the art world from the canopy, you know, ours is looking at the art world from the, the forest floor, looking up at it um, from the artists, the perspective of the artists themselves and what they're up against. Yeah, it's so interesting. You bring up The Price of Everything and I don't know when this transition took place. I mean, they get into it in the film, but not, I don't think in, from a historic perspective of when art went from the appreciation of art and struggling artists and people who are breaking through to the commodification of art as a part of a portfolio for someone who is wealthy and wants to shelter his money. And it be, it's a whole nother realm. And in yours, you can see exactly what you said. You can see 
this sort of feeder system into the into what you're describing um, in the film of of these artists who are who are struggling artists who want to do the right thing. They want their art to mean something, and they also don't want it to end up on in a free port in an air, airport in Geneva either. So when did this begin to sort of commodify? Is there something from your dad's background or in your research when this made this this jump into the world of high finance? And Well, there's, there's scholarship around this and um, I, I would be brutally oversimplifying, um, but it, it, the easiest way I think to kind of summarize what I think the leading theories are uh, around this are just simply when all of the old masters were more or less bought up as kind of the, the status symbols for the, you know, ultra high net worth, um, you know, who gets to own what kind of thing. That's about the time that, you know, contemporary art really, um, really took off and artists were becoming uh, superstars in their lifetimes. And we live in a celebrity, celebrity driven culture. Right. Um, so the idea of becoming an art star uh, became, became, you know, much like rock stars became such a thing. And, um, and it really has changed the landscape. And it's something that I think has become a bit of a plague, especially for documentaries. I mean, <laughs> to, you, you congratulated me on the film, but I, I really feel like the congratulations is in order for anyone who, anyone else who really made it happen, happen financially or otherwise. Because for the most part, if your film isn't about a you know, social justice issue that has organizations dedicated to it, that'll make sure that film gets made, or if it's not, not a biopic or not about a, a scandal, it's just really, it's a really hard sell. So imagine pitching a film like this. We want to make a, a film about emerging artists right. and what they're trying to do and what they're up against. And it's an ecosystem film. You have people understandably saying, well, what's your audience? How are you going to sell it? What big names are attached? Right. <laughs> you know, right. And it's, it's hard to make a film without stars, even art stars. So I was very fortunate that there are people that believed in the thesis that believed in um, believed in me and just helped kind of push the boulder up the mountain. But I mean, I hope that this isn't the only film of its kind. I hope it blazes a trail for more films like this so that we don't get stuck in a rut of only ever seeing documentaries about famous bands and famous artists. Right. Well, in some ways, your description mirrors the art world that you're talking about, right? And it's this kind of um, self-fulfilling concept that you know, to be an artist who gets money or gets the time, gets the opportunity to develop their art, they don't get that money unless they have sort of broken through on some level, right? And I understand there is a process. Not anyone can walk into a, a an art space and just start slapping paint on a on a canvas and, ex, and expect to be concert, considered a, a an important artist. There is a learning curve, and which is what this film is about, really. Let's let's go back to this because. You focus on um, emerging artists and also people who are in this ecosystem that you describe for these people who are just starting out, just emerging. And you give us all sides of it. You give us the art dealers, the people who run the galleries, the people in, this, in these art schools. It's, it's just beautifully done. And also you focus on artists of color as well, women and, and artists of color. Tell me a little bit about how you got introduced to it, because it's not an easy world to break into and be trusted. So how did you make that? How did you do that? Um, in terms of accessing the subjects? Yeah, accessing we... these these you know, these artists. And also some of those the people, the one guy, and I've forgotten his name, the kind of the guy that's sort of the outlaw of oh, the film. Chris Watts. Chris, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. So, well, I mean, gaining their, their trust enough for them to feel comfortable to talk to you about this. I think, um, you know, a different kind of background and context to how we met many of the film's stars, you know, in the instance of Chris, it was kind of a random connection. I had a friend whose girlfriend had curated him in a show once and we were speaking at a party and I was talking about looking for an artist who had an interesting and compelling story storyline that could speak to artists' experiences in, in graduate school. And she said, oh, I have a friend you have to meet. He has a crazy story. Yes. <laughs> and so we just, we just hopped on the phone. And I mean, I in my heart, I think I cast him 30 minutes into our phone call. I mean, he's just such a soulful person. And, you know, but I, I you know, went to an open an opening at Monica King, um, his gallery where he had one one piece in a, a bigger, bigger show and met him in person. And it just kind of sealed the deal. Um, Jenna Gribben, I met at, at the um, Hunter MFA thesis show. I was actually there to speak to another artist and that artist was a little camera shy, but I was speaking to many different artists, kind of screen testing them with my little Canon 5D. I don't actually, I'm not a cinematographer, so it's not really useful footage. It's just to see how do they handle me? How do they handle a camera in their face? And uh, Jenna was just everything you see in the film, very real and present. And she had a kind of energy around her and you could feel she was excited because she sensed what, what went on to happen, that she was kind of having a moment and it was accelerating. So I knew she would be a great storyline. There's a lot of research involved. And what really helped was that my producer and her co-producer, my producer, Debbie Wish, and co-producer, Alison Berg, are very involved in the art world. They're on boards of museums and, you know, they have a real ear to the ground. So they're talking to everybody all the time. And so when I had crazy requests around, I want regional diversity, you know, diversity in terms of materials and subject matter, ethnicity, like I really tried to make it pluralistic as pluralistic as possible because this is meant to be an American story and we're a pluralistic society they would send me 20 examples of artists who sort of fit this fit some of my specifications and then we would research and drill down and try to find a kind of balance in the cast where it felt as as representative as, as a film can be the there's the one person I was thinking of that uh was kind of the gadfly Stefan Simkowitz yes with the hat and the yes the, yes yes Stefan I felt like he was, he plays both sides of the fence. Is that a fair way to describe him? Would you you mind describing who he is and where he fits into this? Stefan Simkowitz, my um, producer, sort of jokingly refers to him as the the film's kind of hero villain. Yes. Um, Yes. He's, you know, the, probably the political equivalent of a libertarian or something, you know? Right, right. (laughs) I actually like your description of him as kind of uh, outlier, liar, gadfly he sort of plays up this um, plays into the fact that this is a bit of a wild west. I love his description of himself, even as at the beginning of the film where he's sort of musing on, I'm not sure why they, why they don't like me. He's like, I'm, you know, maybe it's because I'm outspoken and critical of them. And then he goes on to list all the reasons that he's probably offensive to most people in this world. (laughs) You know, honestly, when I was watching him and even physically, he reminded me of Sidney Greenstreet in Casablanca. He's oh. the guy who runs the the you know the the club that's you know not Rick's, and everyone knows who he is. They kind of everyone knows that he's 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 a player, but he's you and you can trust him only so far. That's mm. kind of how I felt like, as far as and and I love yeah exactly. I again the, he's part of this world, and then there's others who the woman who 
who who had the, the she was doing a podcast as Gary Gagosian, yeah. And again, she has this in, wonderful sort of insight into the art world. Let's, I love. I mean, I love your characters in this film. You really did a, a great job of pulling in a lot of really interesting people. And she certainly fit the bill for someone who had her own, who has her own sort of struggles with how she was outed and just the, the things about her world. Again, there's so much, there's just so much color in this world, but go, go ahead. I, I loved her as, as just in someone who, who tells an important part of the story here. She was great. I mean, the timing was wonderful in that we were in Los Angeles to film some other cast members. I, I think Stefan Simkowitz was one of them. Okay. The story had just broken about her being um, outed because, you know, she had been operating under this sort of alias of sorts. Alias. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah operating. <laughs> thank you. Uh, her, her, the artist's name is actually um, uh, Hildy Lynn Helfenstein. And her alias has been uh, Jerry Gagosian, but no one really knew who this was. And, and actually a lot of people, as, as she reveals in the film, assumed um, by the name that it was a man. Right. She was, uh, her identity was revealed in the art world. Um, she initially kind of tried to resist it, in the end embraced it, but also lived through the backlash of being exposed as a young female. And so she, in the film, she speaks to how the attitudes towards her and her persona changed once people found out who she really was. But she's basically a satirist and she has a meme account that satirizes every aspect of the art world. We, one of the kind of creative choices we, we made, and I th think it was one of the, the best and most important ones, was not to present her as as anything but what she is and what she considers herself to be, which is a, an artist, a conceptual artist. Right. And this work that she does is part of her body of conceptual artwork. And um, I think one of the things she's had to live through is being dismissed as not a real artist, which has been, and you can sense in the film, very frustrating for her, but also kind of broadens that definition. Artists aren't just people slapping paint on canvases. <laughs> they're, they're really people kind of pushing the boundaries of the form, especially in this day and age questioning everything, which is why it is, I think, so important to the future of our species. Gordon Knox, who you were quoting, uh, mentioned earlier, who, who had the quote about how there's no civilization without art. He also had a really great line that didn't make it, make it into the film. There's always, as a director, you're always kind of fixated on those kind of, the, the film that gets left, left on the cutting room floor. He talks about the kind of, let me see if I can paraphrase it well. He talks about the adaptability of our species and how, you know, we have the science to achieve many things, everything from ending world hung hunger to reversing climate change and how what we really lack is the will. And, you know, you get that will from things that, that connect us, that build empathy and, uh, you know, moving hearts and minds, as they say. So we can make as many documentaries as we want. But if more people aren't watching them, if people aren't reading free, free press or looking at art or listening to a variety of voices, things are just going to get more divided and we will we will slide backwards. So. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Again, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Kelsey Edwards. She is the director of the documentary film, The Art of Making It. Well, another important part of the film, and this is something that comes up for any artist of any note who starts selling, who begins to uh, gain a degree of notoriety and starts selling their art. It's that point of letting go of it when it suddenly isn't yours anymore, that it's of the world. And this is where things 
this is kind of where the this is the fork in the road in the film, right? Where people who make this art who want it to be of the world. And by the way, you're 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 talking about empathy and what art means to us as human beings. I, I, I want to completely echo that in, in the sense that we're rapidly approaching a point in our development as a species in our time here on this planet where empathy is going to be absolutely critical to our survival. We are really coming to a point where we're going to be testing that theory in ways that we can't even imagine. And so for me, that's why a documentary like yours, The Art of Making It and others about art and artists is so vitally important because it's easy to say, it's just squiggling on a piece of, on a, on a, whatever it, or it's something that doesn't matter. It doesn't impact my life. It really does. And just to your point about understanding each other and how important art is to that. Um, but the pandemic came along mm -hmm. in the middle of making this documentary at some point when you were making this and to see the outsized impact that it's having on art and artists is something that we should be concerned about, which speaks to a, uh, another ecosystem that we should have, and it's in the film to some extent, art schools, art institutes, those people who cultivate these people and allow them to continue to do what they do despite all of the outside pressures they may be facing. That's a, such an important part. And I'm glad you got into some of that, that San Francisco Art Institute, which apparently is now shut down. Have I got that right? Felt like such an important part of what, why it matters. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, you know, fragility in the system. Uh, you know, the institutions are also, you know, fragile. They're expensive to run, as the film points out. Um, there's, there's not really, you know, an easy, an easy answer because we, you know, we depend on these places to safeguard our cultural histories and to educate future artists. But right now it does seem like it's placing the burden on one end on artists to be able to kind of afford these degrees and these lives in the most expensive cities on the planet and, you know, a decade or two of refining your practice and maintaining a space and somehow surviving. And so, I mean, I had a concern that we've set ourselves up to turn this into basically a rich person's sport. <laughs> you know, what is it going to say about us as a society if the only people that can afford to be artists are already wealthy? And then, you know, on the other end of the spectrum for people who have generated the kind of wealth that affords them the opportunity to dedicate their lives to knowing everything there is to know about art, traveling to the fairs, you know, spending all their time making the studio visits, being in the know, serving on the boards. They become the primary source of funding for these institutions that are supposed to be, you know, representative of a, you know, our collective experience. Yeah. So it's there's a kind of narrowing on on either end of of the spectrum. It's it's not healthy and it's not just. I don't know how to fix it. We're, we're a little bit unique in the United States in that it, at least it seems in Europe, they're much more supportive of artists. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's much more a part of an expectation. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I don't know if that's true across all of Europe, but it does seem like there is a more robust support for arts and artists on that continent. And, and we have, we've always, at least in my lifetime, viewed art with suspicion some in some quarters certainly viewed as subversive or otherwise dangerous and not to and should not be supported and i just i again another part of your film is just how important all of these things are and why they matter and all, all of the things that that should matter i don't know if we can turn it around i don't know if you know i don't know how we're going to do that but films like yours at least make this something that should be on everyone's at least on everyone's radar 
I mean, the, the two big things that I hope we leave people thinking about is one, you know, in um, Valerie Castell Oliver, the curator from Virginia that we um, interview in our film says this beautifully towards the end, she kind of points out, you know, if every if every person just gave $5, if every person in our country just gave $5 to their local museum, you know, think of the kind of, of work we could do to, you know, preserve the art that's being made, you know, to really make this more sustainable. So there's it's true that we're missing a level of engagement that you need to see culturally for things for, to really move the needle. But, you know, the other thing is, and we include these statistics to kind of inform people, we're among the worst and actually for all practical purposes, probably the worst among developed nations of, of government support for, uh, for the arts. So, you know, we could at least try <laughs> those two things and yeah. see if we do a little bit better. You know, I think that would be a, a would be a help, but um, hopefully the art of making it will reach broad general audiences. It was important to me that we made a film that didn't just speak to the art world, but that had crossover appeal to people who weren't already interested in the arts. And um, hopefully this will shine a light on who these people are making these works, kind of put a human face on it. And I think for people to hear from firsthand from artists like Chris and artists like Gisela about why they do what they do and what it means for them and how they're trying to not just make history, but change history and reverse negative dynamics into ones that are um, empowering. Hopefully it will inspire people to kind of look over their own shoulder into their backyard and whatever community they're in and say like, wait, who, who do I know around here that might be doing this kind of work? And how can I make sure that they have what they need to keep doing it because they're providing an essential service? I could not agree more. It also inspires me to go to local art galleries and gathering art fairs and such and and start putting my money where my mouth is. I mean, it, it's as important because not only is the money important to an artist, but also it's some form of validation that they're doing, they're on the right track or whatever it means to them as artists. Uh, we could do more. Thank you so much for the film. Thank you so much for the art of making it. And congratulations on the Doc NYC run. The art of making it film.com will all be also at the Film School Radio uh, website. So thank you so much, Kelsey Edwards, for your work. And thank you for spending time helping me mumble my way through this interview. I have, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. It's an honor to meet you. Thank you for the great work you do journalizing about uh, films and filmmakers. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.